Cradleine Network. Yeah, my name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox. It's the 220th episode of Space Spitter 2000. 220 years of Space Spitter 2000 podcast. Damn it. Since since 1800, a podcast for two Americans trying to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD. One month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for April and May 1990. Progs 676 to 679. This time... A side judge is betrayed. <gasps> the shadows hit the zone. Mm. Armored Gideon fights Jerubal. There's intrigue in Universal Soldier Town and the Chaos Carnival and Indigo Prime, registered trademark, <laughs> open for business. <laughs> brother against brother. I had to look up Gestalt today, man. Not going to lie. Appreciate it. Listen, I- Indigo Prime, we got those big words. <laughs> Indigo Prime. Register trademark. Um, yeah, big word. Okay. If you want to read along with this, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 13. And then Conrad fucked up and forgot to write the rest of where all these keep, uh, comics can be found. 10 Hold out on of 10, a Conrad. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm just trying to live my life, Fox. No, no, no. Sometimes you, you are living your means- life. That past Conrad bastard fucked it all up. Not doing my due diligence. No, he didn't do it. You're doing great. Ah. Judge read the complete case files 14, 2080 Extreme Editions 23, the Judge Red Magazine 357, and the Indigo Prime Collection. All right, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving all that in. Yeah, oh, God. All right. Oh, oh no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Whatever. Speaking on the topic of people making mistakes, Fox, uh, oh. and of past versions of ourselves coming back to haunt oh. us. Yeah. Man, Think about we it. We got so meta just now. Drop it. Thrill one, Judge Dredd. Mm, that reverb. Always. Script robot John Wagner, art robot Carlos Escara, letting robot Tom Frame. <laughs> so, Judge Kraken. As Judge Dredd, he sits in his apartment. He's reading Dredd's uh, judging guide, Dredd's comportment, which is like the big, like, uh, what you call it? Uh, you know, like a like man's diary. Yeah, well, it's like a textbook that he wrote on how to be a judge. We've seen a couple a couple times before, I think. Yeah. I remember Judge Decker, my, who was a rookie my, that Dredd took around. She was big on, on Dredd's comportment. My, yeah, ahead, my favorite part of this is he's got that kind of, um, like, reading light. That uh, mm. that you you had in the eighties and then nineties, where it's like there was never enough light. So what they did was supersize that asshole and just it's a it's huge and it's right there. Yeah, on kind of a telescoping neck kind of thing. The nozzle, excellent. Mm. So uh, Kraken's got a five o'clock shadow, and he reads um a, the, a chapter about the lie as a tool in the judicial process. And Dredd basically says that it's okay for judges to lie all the time because citizens assume that they're honest, basically. Well, like, trick the citizens. Well, <laughs> do they? And there's, a marg- and there's a margin note that talks about the big lie, which Kraken's worried about. He's having trouble generally, especially going to sleep. He takes three black bombs, which seem to be sleeping pills, 
and goes to sleep in full uniform as the hissing sisters, these evil lady judge deaths, uh, look over his body. They're puzzled over him. A man with two souls? How can he exist? But also, he's the one we're totally going after, right? Mm. Meanwhile, uh, Bride of Death, Xena's... Uh, co- uh, attempts to become like a corpse are becoming a little bit too successful, Fox. <laughs> She's getting it. Um, these sisters may have to act su- um, may have to act fast because soon the bride of death will have her reward. Um, and then, but then, as they sort of talk about that and do their standard evil cackling, an image of that is beamed into the mind of Psy Judge Kit Aggie. And in the coolest fucking fashion, I mean, when you're struck. I mean, really, with the psionic energy of anything, you grab your big black paint bucket and you just calligraphy the shit out of your own wall? Yeah, she uh, she cackles maniacally, does all that stuff. She goes full teenage goth and starts painting her, her room black with just big strokes. Um, <laughs> that was... Hmm. But she's... Um, other side judge, judges rush in. She's taken to the med bay... I, I'll mention one of the judges here has the rare double shoulder eagle. Oh, Ooh, yeah. two birds. Oh, I didn't even notice until looking at it just now. That is... <laughs> mm. Yeah. Anderson identifies the voice Aggie was speaking in as sounding like one of the dark judges. That's quite worrying, but it does back up Dredd's story. And indeed, we see that she has written the word necropolis on her wall. I mean, if it wasn't clear by the weird hisses and long consonants uh at least the totally dead city kind of thing works i guess necropolis <laughs> speaking of dread kraken dreams that he's in the halls of judd the crazy spiked helms of the judda calling out to him though he denies that he is still kraken rad dream they call him uh, yeah, it's awesome. They call him a traitor. They pierce his body with accusing knives. Judd himself stands before him and then morphs into the hissing sisters, telling him to destroy them all. And hey, why not take this Judd- bloody ass knife? Yeah, Judd hands cracking a bloody knife. They have poisoned your mind. You must strike at them. Revenge. Death to the mega city. Kraken awakes, shouting just that, but then says no. His hands are bloody from where he held the blade, but he thinks he just dreamed it. Kraken curses Judd. He belongs here now. He's a judge by God. Eh, probably doesn't mean anything. Just go about your business. Yeah, whatever. Definitely. In the Dunk Ronaldo block where Xena, Bride of Deaths, has been summoning the Hissing Sisters, a citizen calls it a suspicious apartment because <laughs> his neighbors, Chip and Xena, are giving him a creepy feeling, and now the whole place is freezing up like literally a wall full of ice on their adjoining wall and I stuff like that. I love how the judges deal with this where it's like, dude, do not call us because your heating system is on the fritz, man. Yeah, no, they just blow, they just chalk it up to various uh, conventional problems and tell them to blow off, basically. Basically. Half of his apartment is literally frozen while the other half is fine. I feel like... See, that's why you need camera phones or whatever. So you take a, take a picture and send that along, right? I mean, when would we have ever invented camera phones? Certainly not then. Indeed. Well, I'm just saying that, like, I could see if you're sort of like a 911 operator or something in Mega City One, you like these citizens are dumb and flighty. So I'm sure they generally over over exaggerate things <sighs> anyway. Why you, you got know? a 1984 of their TVs so that you can see when they're not doing their exercises, man. 
Ooh, rookie. That's mistake. super fair. Definitely. Uh, Side Judge Aggie, who's apparently feeling better, rolls out of the fog to meet Dread, and they both head to Dunk Ronaldo. There seems to be like a Aggie, thing, like she lied about going to see him and stuff. Like there seemed to be like a hmm. Yeah, she, she's kind of she's kind of here off books a little bit or something like that. Um, Aggie explains what's going on in her head when the sisters were in there, but notices that Dread isn't saying anything, and he's looking way younger than he expected than she expected. Yeah, not so bad. Back inside, back in the side dorms, Anderson goes to Aggie's room and finds it empty. Just a note saying, "Summoned by His Majesty, back soon." At Ronaldo, the judges take the elevator to the twenty-second floor. Aggie senses something. The sisters, they're here. And Dred's taking her to them. He chokes her when Dude. she says no. All of this art also, by the way, just gorgeous. V- very intense art by Ascara. How how ominous Dred looks as he looms over Aggie and the violence of him ta- uh, uh, knocking her out and then carrying her through the halls. I don't know if apart- he's doing his color building. work for this or if it might be someone else, but clearly, like... I believe he's coloring it himself. I mean, there's like... It, there's a huge difference between when coloring was done before and now like there is just so much expression going on just from uh, yeah i mean, I, I mean especially with the with the full color um ability they have mm. they're deaf like it scares definitely t- doing stuff to like fooling around with the color and definitely using it to enhance the uh the feel of his artwork and stuff yeah. I and mean, i mentioned last episode i or the last time we talked about the what the last time we were out, but he's doing a lot with like blurring effects yeah, and stuff. Like, like in this one, when, when you see Aggie like arriving, she sort of comes out of this fog yeah. and you kind of see that she's blurry at first and then comes into sharp focus. It's this kind of watercolor effect, but it, the background is always, especially uh, for some of these, the background mm-hmm. is one color and the all of the foreground is one color. And it's yeah. just fucking explicit, but generally speaking, he's giving more white to the eyes than color, which is just, it's really great. It's really beautiful Yeah, stuff definitely. The, uh, the collar from before sees all this, but a stern glance from Dredd sends him running back to his apartment, yeah, basically. Yeah. A blank-faced Dredd, or maybe fully cracking now, carries Aggie's body to the Hissing Sisters. So that phone complaining guy, Chaz, Charles, uh, Charles Chaz is his name, calls in again, this time to report Dred and Aggie in the corridor. He tries to report it to the operator, but the operator just instead threatens him with mental treatment. And as he hangs up, Dred comes up from behind him and shoots him three times. I mean, at that point, I would have just said, yes, just anybody send somebody here, but it's dead now. Yeah, you know, like this is the real. Um, this is the real. We're seeing some failures in the Justice Department, which exactly. is sort of a bummer. But listen, I think that's the understory. Like you can definitely for a lot see it. This. Yeah, I mean, it's the problem with this fascist state they've built mm. that both citizens are afraid to report when they see things really out of the ordinary. And honestly, that Kraken himself is able to be pushed into working. You know, being controlled by the sisters and stuff because he knows that if he says like, "Hey." I'm having problems or something weird's going on. They're going to just literally actually execute him the way they were going to execute him like right beforehand, you know? It's – well, we'll get into this a bit later, but I think Kraken's position is so much better explored in these four – progs yeah no we're definitely and we're definitely gonna get more of that oh, actually beautiful. as 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 um, the well wears on but please continue yeah. 
Oh, no, we got it. Meanwhile, Aggie is be- has been tied to a sacrificial slab. So She uh, awakens to find the hissing sisters floating back. over. The, the slab is it's, back. I mean, it never left. Like, this is a slab-heavy apartment mm. at this point. It's like, it's like uh, you know, a lot of folks' apartments, you see all the furniture's arranged around the TV and stuff. Oh, this one's around like, the slab? Like, hey. Xena's like, yeah, listen, there's a ton of couches and stuff. But they're all pointed directly at the, at the, at the well, slab, you, be you know? You when you watch the execution. Come on. Obvious, well, obviously, of course. Um, <laughs> elsewhere, Anderson is showing the note to the head of Psy Division, uh, Sh- uh, Judge Shen- Sh- uh, Shenkar. His Majesty is what Aggie called dread, That's apparently. Weird. Other, yeah, that is weird. I mean, again, like we just they haven't we haven't seen them interact before, so it sort of seems like a weird honorific Ooh. or whatever, or a weird joke name even for two people that, that we haven't really seen meet. Um, other judges debate what's going on, and they say, like, well, I guess that seems like there could be the dark judges, but we haven't really seen oh the, the massive body count that we associate with them being in town, you know? <sighs> These side judges. And only Anderson is like, dude, dude. Yeah. Could they be up to something? Who knows? Uh. Well, I'll tell you. Suddenly, Judge Anderson has a side flash, and she's feeling her friend Kit Aggie. She's in trouble. Aggie see like looks from the slab and sees Chip's stabbed body just sort of lying on the floor near her. Demands to know what's going on, which is fair. Um, the sisters explain that Xena is too weak to bridge the gap to Dread World, so they're going to use Aggie as a bridge instead. Then they turn to Mist and enter her eyes and mouth as Anderson screams "No!" from across town. I mean. Never good when spectral entities enter your eyes, mouth, and other words. Mm-mm. Stay out of my ears, spectral beings. Yeah. <laughs> Feels weird. It, definitely. Anderson, whoa, it's a lot of experience in that in that uh, statement, for the record. <laughs> I do also, weirdly enough. Oh, no. It's a robot. Possessed robot. Ooh. Anderson crumple, crumples to her knees, feeling the sisters squirming through oh. Aggie's brain. Oh. She shouts no. The sisters scream yes. Oh, that's just uh, icky. It's gross. Aggie, fu- Aggie fights hard, but in the end can't keep them out. She's gone. Judge Shankar calls for Dread. At the same time, Dread is in tech building 21, asking about the dark judge's dimension <laughs> jumping technology. And really like, definitely you know, not asking the weird kind of questions. So uh, could we use these things to bring the dark judges back? Uh, from I, mean, uh, I don't know. If, uh, I mean, that's a weird question. Like, why would you ask that? Yeah, maybe. Ooh, why, though? Answer the question. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, bad times. Um, the tech says it could be done, but Limbo's a big place. And you got to hunt around if you want to find your buddies in there. Yeah, you know. He has limbo experience, yeah. I guess. Limbo specialist? Sure, why not? Limbo Ottoman. The sisters Lou. Oh, yeah. Limbo it up, buddy. Hermes Conrad doing the thing. Um, the sisters loom over Aggie's possessed form, and she's just sort of in this, ju- in this judge jumpsuit, if you're into that sort of thing, for the record. Yeah. Um, like, 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 not unsexily bound is what I'm trying to say. Um, a portal opens and nausea holds Xena's uh, gaunt form. Her reward has come. It's Judge Death. Aww. I mean, look at that. Love actually, am I right? But probably definitely yeah. true and not totally a fi- fiction. Maybe. They embrace and Xena falls dead. And I think this might have been nausea, nausea oh, pretending to be exactly death all along. <laughs> 
It's a real, uh, so the, the, they're, they're really ghost in here yeah. where it's sort of, yeah, let's it touch looks the clay like. Pot. Or, or let me uh, yeah. infect Whoopi Goldberg's body uh, and we'll just tastefully show it as Patrick Swayze. Yeah, listen, a lot of questions about what's actually happened if you were sort of looking at that stuff and ghost from the outside. Uh, I'm just and saying, I'm not like, against hey, man, it. She, I'm just she, saying it's not, what was pre- it's not what was presented. She, yeah, no, exactly. uh, she didn't do an uncool, right? Like, she was like, hey, you're yeah. chill. I'm going to let you have a nice time. That was a weird, nice thing for them to do out of character. Live it up. Yeah. <laughs> so Dread heads out from the tech building reflecting, is the return of, of death something Judge uh, Ju- uh, Morton Judd would want? Has the megacity earned that kind of destruction? He knows he shouldn't be thinking this way, but he can't stop. The sisters are manipulating him. Even the visit to the tech building was their manipulation. He gets on his bike and gets the relay from side division. What's going on with Aggie? I mean, he already fucked now, it up. Oh, yeah. It's too late. Next time, a fate worse than dot, dot, dot. Uh, hanging out with uh, people you don't know? I mean, I wouldn't know. Ooh. Also, uh, Listen, man, really, I'm of that, really sure. great uh, dreads, man. I- yeah, these are really these are really excellent. It's really this um this ratcheting up of this tension. We're really like like both like this like the genuinely disturbing <laughs> like uh you know Aggie being oh, yeah. sacrificed and the and the dark and the uh, and the hissing sisters being crazy with her, but then also like Kraken sort of going insane right before our eyes. Basically, well, like is um these two sort of forces. Oh, and then. Also, like Judge Anderson being full, full Cassandra oh, mode, yeah. more her first name mode of just sort of trying to warn everybody and either not being able to get the message across, not being believed and stuff like that. It's this cool three part story. Ooh. And I think we'll be adding a fourth part either next episode or the episode after that, which is also going to be really my, exciting. My, what I liked the most about all of it, uh, of course, aside from the writing, the art and always the lettering of course mm-hmm. um was two parts the ineptitude right like so a guy right. calls not just once but twice ineptitude the side judges ineptitude even though cassandra is basically not just the foremost expert on this but probably the most expert right yeah they're just going they're just going uh Amity City Council <laughs> mode about That's the judges actually, here. Ooh, you I know? like that. That's a nudge, nudge, real good. Chef's kiss. Mm, love that. Yeah, uh, dude. These jaws but references. The, the second know? thing that I like is that um, while I do think kind of the end uh, prog at at six seventy nine was a little forced for the character Kraken. Mm. I, like I loved how it opened up with him. Tr- like he's trying to fight this thing. He succumbs yeah. to it, and you don't really know if it's like by choice. It's it's not really by nature. It's not really by um, possession. It's just kind of what's happening to him. And I every time he talks about it, it's it's very clear that it's you know he's just trying to not be controlled by anything. But his whole story is about people controlling him from uh kind of the whole um uh Judah to Mega City to now, right? Like Kraken Yeah, I is mean I think it's really controlled. interesting. Yeah, this this evolution of Kraken from I think this sort of new upstart that 
um, is sort of here to replace dread, like really, like sort of evilly almost like to controlled. this more more tragic character that we're seeing and here controlled. is really interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. The fact that he's sort of that it's things beyond his control, and that he's that that there are these different for like literally trying to control yeah. him. Like, I mean, first he's sort of indoctrinated by Judd, but then I mean, you, de- I definitely. I definitely get the sense that like the the like you know he's been like his his conversion to the justice department oh, yeah. is less is less like ah yes like now you're free and more like ah yes like now we brainwash you in a different direction exactly you know what I mean and now there's these <laughs> like, ghost so. women basically haunting his dreams and trying to control him it's he's such an interesting character to me now versus you know just last episode or yeah. the last few episodes where I thought and he was it's just such a, a and, and it, yeah, and it makes him such a contrast to Dredd, mm. who I would say, more than anything else, the characteristic I like Dredd's greatest positive characteristic is like his iron will. Yes. Right? And so uncontrollable. And so to have yeah, his opposite here in Kraken as someone who is pulled being pulled in so many directions, being trying to be like a puppet with strings being pulled by so many different people almost. Yes. Um makes for a really different makes Kraken really different from Dread I mean, and makes him and sort of creates this whole different concept of the character and stuff. It's, it's, it's cool. Right? Yeah. Definitely. So hey, speaking of of a of a of a less compelling story writing, Fox. <laughs> what do you mean, let's like, get into what the fuck is going on. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Thrill to Harlem Heroes. They dropped off a bridge into not water before, but now they're in water. I anyway. Yep. Script robot Michael Fleischer, art robot Steve Dillon and Kev Walker, letting robot Bambos Georgiou. New Harlem Heroes. Hover van. Hover van has gone through a hole in the road. They've fallen into a lake or something. Water's pouring in. Patrice the hacker grabs trips the pilot as Deacon the leader blows the door and the team swims to safety. The goons sent by Warden Ofac are admiring their work. And the heroes come up on jetpack shooting. Meanwhile, at the Mercury National Megacorp, some suits discuss what the deal with these heroes is. And I love it when a uh, suits interlude happens in the middle of an action scene. Really makes me excited <laughs> about the whole thing. I'll, t- I'll tell you who else love it loves it, and it's the editorial department of 2018. Oh, God. <laughs> But yeah, who could these guys be from a, a rival megacorp? Not clear, but they walk to an ambulance of some kind. So helpful. Meanwhile, thank you for that. Yeah. Listen, I guess they're setting it up for later. Uh, meanwhile, Slice the Muscle and Silver the Explosive Expert slash Girl continue their bantering. And as you mentioned to me before we recorded Oof. Fox, it is very much of the not bad for a girl, I will remove all of your genitalia level. Yeah, like, go get your he, gender he change. He kind of has toofy, man. <laughs> uh, acceptable in the 90s, I suppose. Um, <laughs> I don't have a song for that one. Um, but... uh. They go after these dudes. Deacon wants to take one alive, but Slice ain't trying to hear that. So instead, uh, oh, sorry. He isn't trying to hear that. So again, let's jump back to an under the underground prisons, uh, thing where Warden or OFAC is being braced by those suits from the office. Suddenly, and I guess because we want to close this plot thread, right? Uh, no, I think it's going to be, we're just going to kind of like, it means that, well, like, hold on a sec. Well, let, sorry. let, let me, let me evaluate it after I say what happens. I think because <laughs> listen, Dwight and Jim are not are not happy about the warden's uh, um, actions. 
So, uh, yeah, don't don't kill our private street gang. You're fired from being a warden. And now OFAC's secretary is the warden. And honestly, Fox, what I think that this is going to do is free up warden from or, or free up OFAC from his day job to better be an antagonist <sighs> for the heroes, if that makes sense. Um, All right. Because hang on to that after you lose your work and not just, uh, God, whatever. Yeah, OK, sure. Yep. Oh, I guess I should say, yeah, um, when they went after these goons, um, instead of taking them alive, Slice just shot oh, yeah. some dude right through the through the head, none of this like matters. fully on camera. None, none of what happened um, matters. Not, let's not listen to the guy who got us out of here. It's all it's all just like what's going yeah. on. It just jumps around for like three pages. Yeah. In the old Heroes Arena, the heroes lick their wounds. It seems like Trips just swallowed a lot of water, so he'll be okay <laughs> denying us a brain in, in a jar member of the Team Fox. Not pleased about it. Um, and Deacon is pissed that Slice killed that final goon. He sli- he storms off, calling them naive do-gooders. When that ambulance from, Mer- from Mercury National pulls up, a medic in hazmat gear blasts Slice with some kind of gas and uh, then gas. drags him into the back of the vehicle and drives away. Someone's got to do the Raphael because, I mean, Ninja Turtles, right? <sighs> I guess I guess that it it, it is that time. It is. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oof. 1990. Yeah, what am I saying? Of course. Um Silver sees them go and they're and uh whatever. Just they they're talking about going after him and that's all from the Harlem Heroes for now. They'll be back next episode. Suddenly she said, "Uh Slice, you know, care about you now." Listen. Yeah, well, they've got that classic, like, they're they're bantering because they actually like Man, each other, will you know? They, won't they relationships are not about cutting off penises. It's about witty banter like, no, are you? And then weird situations when they're alone. I just feel like we've just made a lot of advances in banter technology in, you know, here in 2020. You know, like, we don't, they didn't know how to do it back then. You know, plus, like, the the Bobbitt cases in the news. Like, there's just a lot of discussion of, of dick cutting in that in that era as well. You know, we got to think about it from the time, Fox. I don't know. This whole <laughs> conversation makes me feel weird and also think about hot dogs. And speaking of, I mean, speaking of useless well, meat. <laughs> I was just going to say one more thing mm. is that uh, my general complaint about Universal Soldier is that we've got this sort of... <laughs> Or sorry, about Harlem Heroes. I should, geez, get, get ahead of myself. About Harlem Heroes is that it's got this sort of like, hey, here's some fun graphic violence, and that's weird from a year that started with um with with a song of the surfer that seemed like such a rebuke of that oh, sort I of mean, thing to then to then just have it like front and center well, here, you and, know. And so where song of the surfer used graphic violence to say something this thing says here's some graphic violence wait halfway through a page we stop it give you a bunch of things that you have to read that i mean sure the medical people who spray gas on someone i mean if that just happens that's a cliffhanger but they stopped the violence they went back to the violence with some argument Mm -hmm. Uh, then barely kind of did violence because they had to go around in a, uh, a warehouse and then suddenly that yeah. stopped and then like, hey, this guy's not a guy anymore. Then, hey, oh, suddenly that stopped and then we're back at this thing. It's like there's such an eclecticy to the whole thing that when you finally get to the end, it's like he was gassed and also this person who's always fighting with him and they don't seem to have a great relationship. Um, But sure, they could. 
Uh, she suddenly I mean, cares. Yeah. Like, it, it's just, it's so, I get what they're trying to put together. It, and it's not that it's the worst thing. It's just that it's aimless, right? Like it doesn't, it yeah, has a I lot mean, to say, but not focus. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely say that I feel like um, we're, at, like, we're definitely seeing how cutting around a lot can both be good in Necropolis mm. and how it could just become like whiplash inducing like in Harlem Heroes mm. and in Thrill 3 Universal Soldiers. I was really hoping you were going to say useless meat or useless sausage. Listen. Harry, there we go. So it's UNS. <laughs> Sorry. He's in a casing. <laughs> <laughs> Script about Alan McKenzie, art about Simon Colby, lettering about Gordon Kidd Robson. All right, Fox. Really great artwork and coloring, by the way, and I'm not shitting on these dudes. It's just, you know. Yep. Oh, no, listen. Yeah, no, like, it's it's fine, but it's definitely like this story is not a good story, I don't think. Um, on the planet Heartbreak Rock, the narrator and his buddy Big John are in the middle of a montage training a bunch of white-collar criminals and their families to fight against oncoming raiders. Gotta do as a the Universal montage. Soldier. Gotta. Even Rocky had a montage. As the Universal Soldier communes the weird green crystal that he somehow managed to get out of a lockbox since since last episode. This is a thing we should do, I guess, halfway through the montage. Why not? (laughs) They made a big deal about that lockbox being hard to open, but it was dealt with off camera. Um, (laughs) Oh, that's right. They never... And they say, like, it'll have, like, 10,000 possible combinations, buddy. Please continue. It seems the crystal gives you far-seeing abilities. Well, so we see a bunch like of raiders. World, or Warcraft yeah. 3. You know, you just do a thing and then, yeah, it's fine. Totally. Yeah, we see these raiders on sweet purple riding lizards go into a bar that seems to be owned by the leader of the raiders we've been worried about, Iron Skull. Mm. Among them is that dreamy dude in the flat hat with the trench coat and the long I'm, black hair. I mean, dusters are hot and also uh, Australian hats and long hair, whatever. Cheers, buddy. I feel like it's just like a, I don't know. I don't think it's the Australian hat. Yeah, you're right. Like that Bushwhacker hat, because that has the folded up yeah, side. Yeah, it's got you that kind I mean? of uh, cavalry fold on the side. Yeah. Yeah. Australian hats either have that fold or they have corks hanging from them. And, That's what I've and learned. a bunch from... of teeth and maybe some uh, marsupial pieces. Good day! <laughs> <laughs> Crikey! Uh, yeah. Anyway, he's got a proposition for Iron Skull, the boss here. Um, he's traveling with 500 men and needs Gray to feed him. Iron Skull, Iron Skull asks how he'll pay, and the man flashes a giant gem. And Iron Skull is like, that's a nice gem, but what's to keep me from taking it with my 3,000 men? Nice gem, I think I'll take it. <laughs> And the stranger powers it up and zacks Iron Skull with it, turning his entire body, except for his skull plate, into dust. I mean, you want to keep a memento, right? Also, really love those red eyes when he's doing the grit teeth thing. Really makes me feel That's... like Hanna-Barbera, bad guy villain knight. That's how you know he's tripping. That's how you know he's so dreamy. He's got those flashing eyes. Beautiful. The Unisol can see all this and realize the other dude's way better at crystal stuff, so he'll <laughs> need the troops to help him out in this fight. Crystal stuff always makes you the more powerful dude. Yeah, I mean, I think I can't think of a time when that hasn't been true, Fox. Like whether it was when I was in summer camp and things got real weird and uh, pagan, or in uh, Universal Soldier fights, or when you got those uh, action figures that had like plastic that looked like crystals on their chest, and when you spun the thing on their back, it would make sparks between uh, underneath the plastic, and you're like, oh shit, that means the the crystals. I got to tell you the. 
the 80s toy that I want the most were these He-Man things, like He-Man-esque things, but everyone was just made of crystals. There was a sweet crystal dragon and stuff like that. Is that the clear plastic um, or the ones that switch the heads? It was colored plastic, but yeah, they were sort of made out of sort of a clearish, colory kind of... Like, it, it's one of these things where um, I only know about them because they guest starred on a Doctor Strange, in a Doctor Strange comic. And then I looked them up and they didn't have a, like, it was basically like, like Marvel was like, oh man, like we should, like, these action figures are big, we should make our version of it. And everyone told them, like, actually, like, the main reason they're big is because of Saturday morning cartoons and stuff. You don't have a cartoon for your guys, they'll fail. And Marvel was like, nah, I think we can make it, oh, but no. now they, they failed. Um <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, man, make street sharks. You'll sell some toys. That's what I keep saying. More montages! Oh, God. The Unisol's given a pike demonstration. As the narrator notices that, the Universal Soldier is flashing back to history more and more. This time as he shows how to knock a dude off a riding lizard like a knight. Like an undaunting knocking a dude sausage. off an elephant with a knife. With a, a lance, I should say. Yeah, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at Universe at the Universal Corporation, Mrs. Brewster calls in to talk oh, that's to the right. CEO. She's a character. Yeah, but she gets the CEO elect instead. Mm. Uh, she wants to know where her husband, Max Brewster, the Universal Soldier, is because uh, they're going to tell you uh, whatever. Yeah, okay. And they just say he's MIA. I don't know. And only the old CEO knows. So and he's off world. <laughs> so whatever. I'm hanging up. Give the new CEO elect any information, right? Continuity of power is not a big thing in this major galaxy spanning uh, 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 corporation. Fox, Capitalism we all know fails, that. I guess um, they hang up on her. It seems like she was making this call from a journalist's office. I mean, I he's guess? got the tie and like the vest and the the white shirt with the rolled up sleeve. So handlebar mustache. I mean, he's not yelling, <laughs> "Give, give me, me the goddamn pictures of that Spider Man," but he does definitely later say, "I get that goddamn uh, full rights to the interview." He's interested in space pictures of Space Spider-Man, please. Spider-Man 2099, etc. But they're going to figure out where that CEO went. Anyway. Universal Spider-Man, absolutely. I feel like that's like the third Into the Spider-Verse comic or a movie. Um, Meanwhile, again, the Universal Soldier's teaching longbows and flashing back some Robin Hood I shit, mean, he's splitting split arrows Robin's and targets arrow as you do. In twain. Oh, not my twain. The Unis- oh, Universal oh, Soldier's oh. getting real unstable, coming unstuck in time, which is bad news. Back with the journalists, Miss Brewster's making inquiries about the CEO, but instead finds listing for Max Brewster himself, last seen headed to Cygnus 5. So let's check that, that out. It seems real weird that uh, you can just get that information randomly as the wife who's not a reporter but contacts i guess whatever we're we're moving forward i like that the plot is moving forward what i don't like can't is stress enough we everything else yeah we can't we can't stop here this is unisol country fox <laughs> um, <laughs> big john and the unis and the universal soldier are heading out to recruit some more soldiers you know some more folks they arrive at a settlement, but it's been destroyed, everyone killed. So instead, Big John tracks the, the attackers, they're headed southeast, and the two of them head after him. Gotta smack him at in the night, head at night. Yeah. Yeah. At Bad Guy Camp, they knock out Bad some guards, take camp. their clothes, and they head in oh, this trick in the book style, Fox. That's how you do I it. I wasn't expecting Bad Guy Camp. That's actually very accurate, because they did the chuckles. That's how you know they're the bad I mean, guys. I it's technically like like the, the the Iron Wolves or whatever. I mean, I don't. I mean, they're, it's Bad Guy Camp. I love that. I, I can't make, like, they, they, they are generic, so I'll refer to them generically. <laughs> <laughs> 
In the camp, they walk around asking questions. They're here to kill the town. The Unisol is protecting, buddy. That's how it goes. The goons are going to head out in the morning, and our boys head home. There is a little funny part where they kind of do, I guess, the heartbreak rock joke of, uh, what are you in here for, buddy? Same as you. I'm innocent. (sighs) (laughs) Oh, man. What a a hilarious joke. Back with the reporters, there's nothing special about Cygnus 5. It's just some regular old bullshit planet. But Cygnus 4 is heartbreak rock. There's one special thing about this whole scene, which is... uh, Someone pushed up their glasses to make a goddamn point, also known as heartbreak mm. rock. I mean, it's the classic glasses move, Conrad. Listen, yeah, listen. I put I push mine up all the you time. So I'm always making these good points, it. Fox. <laughs> the CEO must been he- must be heading there too to destroy evidence. The reporters prepare to head out, and Mrs. Brewster is coming with them. Yeah, go get him, Janine. Ghostbusters, what do you want? Hey, hey, the Universal Soldier and Big John arrive back in 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 a in a mog the town ta- or Gog whatever the, the town they're in. They go see Lord Abraham. It seems the villagers' former top warrior uh, Meshach has ridden out with the other warriors Surprise. of the um, against the the Wolf Clan. Kano Presumably, on us? He's, how is this possible? Mortal Kombat. Definitely, yeah. Presumably, he's taking Shadrach and Abednego with him. A lot of biblical names going on oh, here. Yeah. Um. There's nothing we can do about it now, I guess. The Universal Soldier dream, uh, sleeps and dreams of that sexy flat hat guy holding his wife hostage, maybe killing I her. I mean, or also um, maybe just like, hey, let's have a good time with this raspberry jam. Who knows? Definitely. The narrator wakes him, and we actually see his face for the first time. The narrator still don't know his name. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part is like, and I finally s- called him by his first name, Max, for the first time. This is very important. We have a deep relationship. It was also the last. Um, My name is Narrator. Blue headband. <laughs> Which is later green, by the way, and then blue again. This is very Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as well, just these headband changing. Um, but yeah, um, the Wolf Clan is sort of has arrived at the village. They're about, three, they're about an hour's ride away. Um, meanwhile, Meshach and his buddies are also near, amassing near the town, just sort of standing off there. Sure. Unifsol has someone go ask what's going on with him. Meanwhile, the reporters are headed to Sickness 4. They're getting buzzed by the cops, but they got a press credential, buddy. Or they say they do, and that should hold them off long enough for their purposes. And also, I get all the fucking rights to this interview so I can make some of that sweet, sweet uh, galaxy bucks. Absolutely. He's my favorite character so far. He's got a a clear goal in mind and why he's doing all of this. Yeah, this this expose is going to be on the front page of Space Reddit for like, like at least two oh, days, man. Fox. Think of the, the Space Reddit gold upvotes he's going to get gold. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be constantly up there on, in a space park or whatever people get their news from. <laughs> um, well. Callback. The past. Um Oof. Heartbreak Rock's a big planet, but presumably the chip in Max's head, that's the Unisol, will show up in this otherwise tech-free world. The sun sets on the town as a ma- as the messenger sent to, to Parley with Meshach returns, and he's just dead. I do like this line that uh, Meshach knows how to make a mess of a man, uh, which is pretty yeah, good. I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. Don't expect us help in this battle is the basic point. It'll just be our three buds plus a bunch of farmers. First, the Wolf Clan. I hope the Unisol has a battle plan. And next time, the art of war. So, man, uh, 
there's a spiel I've been saving for a moment, which is that, uh, and we'll kind of see this as we go through at least one or two more. What I do really appreciate mm-hmm. about 2000 AD uh, writers and contributors uh, overall is that they mm-hmm. they kind of pull from, for better or for worse sometimes, right? Um, like classical literature to kind of retell a story because it's sort of this... Hmm. Um, way for for kids or adults or, or whoever right in between to kind of like gauge a character so yeah. with universal soldier doing this robins and twain and and giving someone the name of little john and having this nameless hero because like i mean who cares but we're, whatever um sure and having a b plot and a c plot that are that are also informed on some different things like the after we get from here you can kind of see it especially with armored gideon and and some other things i appreciate that and i will say that as a thing that i said so that i can then say oh my god i mean i read this yeah it's not good i think it's pretty like like Mackenzie. I think both Mackenzie and Fleischer actually mm-hmm. like of Harlem Heroes and Universal Soldier. They definitely have big ambitions with the story. The stories they're yes. telling. Yes, but I don't know if they're if they're working out as well as they'd I, like them to. I be, like to be the kind of there uh, again. I'm trying not to be completely shitty about this, but like there are things about it I like. Right, like the animals and that you know there's different planets and things like that. But also sure. Man, going to a place where a guy is shooting bows and also sometimes remembers a past time and then his wife is looking for him. She's a reporter. It, it It's just a little too busy. And then there's the C plot of like, there's a corporation behind it, but that's not the, clear. Yeah, the CEO doing something oh, and like... This crystal has I, farsight. I that one has a laser that makes a man melt until his plate is off or... Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel like there are some elements that still need to be fully connected to each other yes. as we go through the story. You know, we'll see. Um, you know, we're sort of making tracks in Universal Soldier here, so we'll see how it ends up, I guess. I just don't um, know if they can connect at all. Um, and like, yeah, no, definitely. It's that's definitely, we'll see how well it comes together, Fox, for sure. Yeah. And speaking of things coming together, oh, oh, oh at, mm. let's talk. Thrill 4, Armored Gideon. Are you more like obliterate or are you more of like an annihilate? I feel like I'm an annihilate man, Fox, for sure. I feel like obliterate. I I just feel like sometimes I'm missing chunks of who I am. Well, I know what we're going to do the next time we see each other in person. Punch, 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 punch. (laughs) Rock and suck robots. Oh, shit. Anyway. At least just some shouting, you know. Scripter about John Tomlinson, art about Simon Jacob, lettering about Steve Potter. And I got to admit, Fox, I'm actually kind of surprised that they bring the evil version of the big bad here in the first story of um, Armored Gideon. That usually feels like a sequel kind yeah, of move, you know? I, I enjoy it just for its its uh, kind of setup, but it's hard it's yeah. hard for me to say whether or not he would be back. I would assume so. Right. He's he's the it, it, he's, it's, it's the Cain and Abel story, you know? It's hard to keep an evil robot down, for oh sure. My God, I love but that. yeah, I'm just saying generally that like usually like the first movie is just we is like the threat is Godzilla and then in the next movie Godzilla fights some evil version of Godzilla or something like that. <laughs> 
Although that isn't how they did it in the in the newest remake of Godzilla. So what the, what the hell do I the know? The only thing Whatever. I would accept is uh, both of them just crushing multiple times Godzuki, the worst character ever made. You and the... Godzuki, oh, that baby Godzilla. Yeah. So yeah, evil version of this first story. Here's Armored Jeroboam, buddy. Obliterate. <laughs> The cultists of the Red Dawn, led by Robert Zodiac, prepares to offer um, Ilona as a tribute to the mechanical monster. But photojournalist Frank Weitz, who the cultists believe is the demon. Not sacrificed. Oh, yeah. Adansquater, long story, goes to stop them. Um, um, Jeroboam doesn't care about any of this stuff, though. He's just ripping up trees and walking towards the nearby town. Obliteration in mind. it's, It's Listen. If I'm going to obliterate, you think I'm going to obliterate, like, that girl or you guys? Man, there's a big old town over there. I'm going to rip this tree out. Going to blitz it. Yeah, you got to work work smart, not hard, you know? Exactly. The whole situation seems to have driven robbers quite mad, as you do, I guess, and Frank and Alona leave him to his plight. Later, Alona explains both that her dad is Robert Zodiac and her mom is dead. And that so all she's and that all her life she's had visions of the edge and the armored robots. My favorite part of all of this is the drawings book that she shows him, which is not like this big long here's all the words I wrote, but just kid drawings and yeah it's really cute drawings of like of like gideon and jerobal like holding hands and being friends and stuff it's good times best way to describe the story totally yeah so she commences to info dump uh the (laughs) edge is an envelope around our world to keep all the weird evil stuff out and the silent ones who walk in the space between moments create gideon and jerobal to protect the world from such horrors at first, they were strong and fought, and fought together as we see Jerubal walking around the nearby hamlet, destroying everything. <laughs> but one day, Jerubal got jealous of Gideon and snuck up on him and hit his off switch. And then mm. went to go fight the monsters on his own to show how badass he was. But he was not badass and instead got his ass kicked. Pulled a Lauren data. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. As we and uh, as we see this, we see both Jerobal can t- uh, destroy a power station in the town and standing over its broken wreckage. The monsters broke Jerobal down and buried him in the deepest hole on Earth, which was still sort of in lava rocks. Period. You do not um, stop a jawline that looks like that, dude. No matter how deep. You gotta try, you know? But you definitely can't stop it forever because he sat there until the Red Dawn awoke him. But now Gideon is uh, is turned back on and he's just come through a gateway to confront Jerobal. And Frank's got a pretty good line here where he says that if they're brothers, they're going to have a pretty repetitive argument. Annihilate <laughs> versus obliterate. I mean, just over and over again. It's the, uh, it's the uh, worldwide wrestling fan federation prior to it getting canceled show you always wanted to see yeah kind of i mean this is sort of like if uh if the road warriors had split up you know hawk and animal going Ooh. after each other and they can't you know and hawk and animal not the greatest of talkers so it'd just be one guy going well and then another guy going Ooh, <laughs> what a rush um sort of back and forth over and Remember over again that was catchphrases um, like obliterate and uh annihilate 
Yeah, they're right there. Hmm. The ground shakes as Frank gets alone outside the mansion they're hiding in. And then they walk outside to see Jeroball and Gideon beating the crap out of each other. Two robots fight tooth and nail. They're popping big buzz saws out of their shoulders and generally going nuts as brothers do, I suppose. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I got to say, like, I think, you know, I have a brother. He's like a year and a half younger than mm. me. We definitely fought until we were like in our late teens, I think. Oh, wow. And then at that point, basically, it was clear that we were both big, strong dudes and we could not keep fighting because we would destroy both ourselves and the surrounding area. (laughs) Actually, very similar to Gideon and Jeroball here. So we sort of have had a detente for the last 20 years ever since then. My brother was 10 years older than me, so that wasn't possible. But each of my sisters, uh, from me and then to them and then to the last one, are one year apart each. So struggling alliances were generally the thing. It's like one Ooh. side would commit to the other, but then suddenly, mm-mm, solidarity between the feminine way. And then suddenly there yeah. would be a broken alliance, and here I was, ready to fight. Ooh, look at this guy. Love it's on the beautiful. battlefield. Yeah, you know... Because I only had had the one sibling, we could only we we could all, like we, we couldn't have shifting alliance oh, no. in politics. It was always just fight. sort of just sort of two fists smashing into <laughs> each other constantly. An unstoppable um, force meets an immovable object. Yeah, a lot of kicking on on those on those couches oh, when we watch TV. The kick position um, is the strong anyway. position. Anyway. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Frank's taking, like, oh, we just destroyed ourselves, Fox. This is awful. Uh, Frank's taking pictures when Robbers runs out and tries to find some peace between the two murder bots and instead gets squished by Jeroball for his trouble. But that gives Gideon an opening and he goes in for the kill because he's had 40 million years of fight experience and Jeroball's kind of rusty. So he pops his brother's robot head clean off. Rock'em sock'em robots in the truest sense also if there's any tip i could give any of the listeners out there if you see two giant robots doing a rock'em sock'em please as a psa my green cross code mm. don't just Ooh. don't just don't go around that don't, yeah. don't be there it's the red cross yeah it's the red cross code because as this <laughs> happens jeroball explodes and an ex- it goes up in a literal explosion of gore and robot parts a literal red dawn fulfilling robber's prophecy literally obliterated until the next time mm. gadget next time literally annihilated i think um uh, annihilado Gideon obliterado won. yeah i'm just saying that's that's just cuz gideon won and that's his catchphrase you no, know i know um, you're smart and i'm dumb <laughs> I don't think I feel like at the very at the at the very least we're on equal footing, if not if not uh uh you being superior I mean, in, so, we, in, in many ways. There's only one way to settle this. Anyway. Fight. Frank is snapping pictures. This is the story of a lifetime, but Alona breaks the news. Thanks for the edge, don't show up in pictures. Your photos are worthless. Hey man, we gotta explain but, why he's taking pictures and not make those pictures as a plot device meaningless. Let's take a couple of pages to do that. Yeah, well, Frank says that he has successfully taken pictures of Gideon, so what gives with that? And Alona works it out. Gideon isn't after Frank's camera. He's after Frank himself because Frank is a sensitive – he's a psychic photographer That's whose powers are interfering with the temporal plane. Basically, he can take pictures of crazy ghost shit. Or a camera, I guess, or, or who knows. 
Whatever, he's doing He's imprinting it. it on the film with his powers. The camera's a talisman of his ability, Fox. I mean, that explains, something. I guess, the giant weird creases in his forehead. Like, what? <laughs> I mean, that's more just sort of Simon Jacob being, being doing his thing. Having a good um, sense of character fucking faces. It's awesome. Yeah. Luckily, Frank has a plan. He grabs a grappling hook <laughs> randomly and has Alona go buy a ton of flashbulbs from the from the drugstore. This is one of these. Th- I don't know. Do you remember like these cameras that would have so, like a like a cube shaped flashbulb that you'd put onto the camera and had li- a, a limited number of uses? So Fox? when the text was describing it. It's like, what the fuck are they talking? About? But as mm-hmm. soon as I got what he was trying to do, I was like, oh. Oh, he's using, like, those Kodak motherfuckers. He's just using those... Yeah. Like, he's just trying to flash it around a bunch to do a thing, which... Yeah, it's ba- it's basically the, uh, like, these flashbulb things were for, were for these cameras. Yeah, but it's a camera that sort of exists in this space between the cameras that are just cardboard boxes. Yeah. And, the ca- and, and like, a real camera, basically. So you didn't have to buy the film but, like, and not a po- they could develop it yeah, like, pretty easily. Yeah, it's not a Polaroid. Mm. It's still like you, a regular film camera that you got to buy, but it's pretty simple, usually for like kids and tourists and stuff like yeah. that. It's one of these things where it's something that would be instantly recognizable in 1990, <laughs> but maybe 15 oh. years later, like like you could do a pretty solid one of those uh, kids react kind of things. I mean, uh, with one of these flashbulbs, I'm sure they I'll, have. I'll done, make actually. this quick, but there are these things they call flow markets in in Germany. Where it's like people selling old stuff, so they'll have like old cameras and old film that they're selling. Do you know mm. what I've never seen there? One of those old paper plastic Kodiaks where it's like you can still just kind of crank the thing and then take a picture. Yeah. Because no one's going to do it for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I know one place in my area where you could get film developed. Oh, but wow. Hipster. Like it's still one of these huts. Like, I, th- I think they also make keys and shit. Like, it's, you know, it's not a single purpose thing. And I bet, honestly, most drugstores actually still have film development. Well, you can actually just um, take the labs. film out. Like, the plastic and all of that was just, yeah. You were really just buying the film. Yeah. It's a whole, but it's definitely a service that was once ubiquitous. Like, it's literally like the modern version of, like, of like buggy crop, of, of like, uh, buggy wheels or something I mean, like I that. You know, everyone listening to this right now, mostly... I would say like 99% probably know what we're talking about already for that weird 1% yeah. or less. Don't yeah, shout out if you're a young person listening to this podcast. Just literally don't worry about it. It's the worst. It's like if you had to take your phone and give it to a drugstore employee to get the pictures yeah. off of your phone. I mean, there's definitely 100% there's a reason why uh, when digital cameras and especially cameras on phones came around, all of this stuff immediately died out. Like there was the freaking meteor hitting the dinosaurs, Thank you know? Thank God. Absolutely. All right, here we go. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Listen again. Like I'm, I'm, I'm loving these. These are good, good nostalgia talks. I'm loving these aside. More annihilation. I want to see punching robots, Conrad. Well, first I got to talk to Ben. Uh, Frank's got to talk to Benson, his editor. She, of course, demands pictures of Spider-Man, but instead he offers pictures God of the pictures. of this adventure, including documentary evidence to prove it. I mean, fine, but also she doesn't believe him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not the pictures Alona of Spider-Man. Com- yeah. That's what she wants. Alona, Alona's back now, and she's done one of these things where she sort of presages a couple of events that are going to happen by listing a bunch of stuff that she's bought, basically. Oh, yeah. Like flashes, connector box, blocks, timers, presumably this will all add up. 
Um, he starts building some kind of lasso thing out of the flash yeah, exactly. cube. It's not what, clear. What? And also, sure. Whatever. It gets him to a new we'll dimension. See. It's pretty rad. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're just setting up the fact that he has prepared stuff. So when he has stuff later, we'll know where I it came from. I love that he just gets it. That's fine with me. Yeah. I don't, I don't need a lot of advanced, like, they don't just explain how much any stock of it. They would just, this like, town do it, have. And I'm very happy about yeah, that. Yeah, keep going. Definitely. So he heads off, leaving Alona to take a package to London to give to Benson. So armed with this gear, he again heads to a warp gate, reminds her that he's seven, the number of life. Don't worry. Heads through the warp gate and back to the I really edge. I feel like that's him just saying, like, please just go. I'm fine. Yeah. I don't think he believes in yeah, that Kabbalah counting fucking Munko no. bullshit. No, he's just trying to reassure her in a way that she has presented herself as being, and, you know, as believing and in. And for him, swinging a bunch of cameras around as Ebola makes a lot more sense than that, I guess. Whatever. It is very... No it, one it, explains it, it, it anything funny and that, I love it. Yeah. As a photojournalist, he has photojournalist-based weapons. Oh, but yeah. Frank oh falls, God. falls That's through the portal into the edge. Yeah, that's what he's got, you know. He sort of starts narrating. He's got one of those micro cassette uh, uh, dictation things. He says it's it's quiet, <laughs> but then a, a horde of demon runs past, and they just kind of knock him down. It's just sort of this Man, random demon horde. Love it. Cur- always constantly doing a fight cloud through uh, the edge, basically. It's got a very Dragon Ball Z run away from the dinosaurs feel. Definitely. But then a vampire shows up, or actually, a vam, a vam feel you, plebeian blood I mean, that's like saying that Witch and the movie Vavitch are different. I'm like, does just don't, I mean, you put two Vs in there. I love your film, but also, like. You gotta pronounce that Y in there, well, you fool. You, don't, you also don't have to be a fucking hipster. But yeah, love that definitely. Film. Frank, uh, Frank, Frank feels similarly. That's why he uh, whips him with his <laughs> lasso of flashbulbs, which the flashbulbs then go off and the light burns the, the vampire into a skeleton. As it should, because it's not sunlight. Yeah. It's actually anything that we need to move the plot along. Love it. I mean... Yeah, I can't I can't sit down and litigate vampire rules here, Fox, because the Nomo have arrived, these wing whale <laughs> things. Uh, Frank puts his plan into action. He uses a grappling hook and rope to catch and climb onto a wind I whale. Mean, he's, dooming, he's dooning his way into the sky here. Oh, so or great. More technically, maybe he's black companying it, but oh, that's a reference I'm not sure a lot of people I get. Will. But they they ride on wind whales in in the in like the in like white rose in sort of the third black company book whatever. Um, Frank makes Moby Dick references though, which are also acceptable. I guess. I mean, he's um, not killing them, but sure, whatever. He uses his grappling hook to drive the whale in the direction he wants, which is right at our boy Armored Gideon, and this clearly won't end well. I mean. Won't oh, it? I should. Uh, I realize. I realized I should mention this because um, I forgot it. Mm-hmm. But when armor, when Gideon and Jerubal fought back in the day, oh, they were after talking about the, the whale thing, right? After after Jerubal turned Gideon off, he then tossed his body into a wind whale, which ate it. So I think Frank might be trying to recreate that. Right. But we'll He's learn to, more next issue. Kinda, there's next like episode. maybe a fear there or like a thing, right? Yeah. Next time, whale annihilation. I mean. Sorry. Whale annihilation. I, like, do you know what I love about all of this? There, there certainly mm. is like... Um, I wouldn't say like a direct, it is trying to be some kind of biblical fucking thing, but it is, it is calling on those things, right? And the audience yeah, is predominantly to... uh, English who might 
potentially know that. Mm -hmm. But instead of saying that, here's this baseline, let's definitely shove that history down your throat. Let's say like, look, it's like the same thing. It's just like, you know, how about it's two robots fighting and also there's a little of that kind of what you know. But... I mean, it's a it's a definite con- actually to me it feels like a real connection to Universal Soldier, which also mm. has a bunch of biblical names mixed into it. Basically, I feel like this does it better um, though, because it because yes. it's not oh, yes. Cain and Abel, or it's not whatever. Like there there are no no no. I mean no, just like just like uh, just like Necropolis mm. is doing uh, cutting around to different scenes better than Universal Soldier. <laughs> uh, Armored Gideon is doing better, um, like making some a- adding some subtext by Illusion. giving characters biblical yeah. names as well. And yeah. and there's just there's so much going on in terms of just. Uh, so what I really enjoy, not necessarily as much as say, um, oh, why am I forgetting it? Um, Oh, whatever. The the, the point Which I'm one? trying this to make week? is that like you don't always have to explain exactly how people know things or why people are doing things. You can also just like let things play out. And I think that there's a better example later here in Shadows. But what I enjoyed so much about Armored Gideon is our main character is is he just accepts a bunch of stuff or doesn't. But he doesn't oh, yeah. shit on people when he doesn't accept something. He's just like. No, you shouldn't kill a kid. I'm going to go save that kid. Yeah, the kid's yeah. going to say some stuff, and then I'm just going to deal with the problem. And there isn't a direct reason for him to solve it, necessarily. He's just driven to it, and we don't need to know why. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it is because Gideon keeps coming after oh, him. Sure. you got to kind of find a way to end it and stuff like that. But yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it, it, like, G- Armored Gideon's definitely taken all this info dump in a much in a very, like, Giving you idea of things, but still keeping it kind of breezy. Yeah, as opposed to other backstories, <laughs> I guess you know. Like I love that they brought up um, his brother because yeah. in the last episode, I didn't even, as we talked about, I didn't even realize necessarily immediately that that was just this other being, uh, yeah. which was clear in just him saying something different, which I didn't pick up on. Mm-hmm. And in this was cool and important in a way where they kind of described it. But it was ultimately two big robots just punching each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in the end, like, the core competency of Armored Gideon is Fun. these cool pictures of demons and robots fighting and stuff like that. So the details of why those things are happening are there, but less important. And I feel like it's aware of that. And so it's telling it's, it's making the story fun and on a higher plane. Speak- when we're, oh, sorry. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely, it definitely lets Armored Gideon stand, like stand out from some of these um, stuff from some of the other stuff we talked we're, we're talking about in the first half of the show. I guess show, just you know? for me, it's like the higher part of it is that, like, if there is this bigger world going on, would you understand, right? And then, yeah. consequently, does that matter? But wrapped in a candy-coated wrapper where there's a Tootsie Roll in the center of the Tootsie Pop? Ooh. I can never make it without biting Fox. I mean, and speaking of, <laughs> go for it. Speaking of getting to the later part of the show, let's talk about non thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Sometimes you just gotta bite to the nerve center of something and realize that there's a bubble in the middle of that, and you cut your goddamn tongue on reader. Thirty, thirty, Pro- and uh, Prog six seventy six. Down and out in the land of shadows, Nina looks scared as some gross hands advance upon her. The colors in this oh, cover are really caustic. interesting, like a muddy oil slick. Really caustic. To me? Yeah. 
And I'm just, I, I, I really love the level of big-eyed fear <laughs> that Nina is showing on these covers. Very Ridgeway-esque, very honestly. Awesome. Yeah. No, uh... No nerve center in 676? Fine. <sighs> Puck 677. Armored armored Oblivion as Gideon and Jeroboam <laughs> fight to the finish in the Simon Jacob cover. In the nerve center. Oh, God, sorry. Oh, no, I just was whispering so awesome. <laughs> in the nerve center, Tharg announces that Harlem Heroes has taken some time off. There's pictures of a Justice Department kill droid that I'm pretty sure is copied from some mech book of mechs. And a laughing Tharg the Joker. Letters... Yeah, definitely. Thug, uh, letters compliment the new rogue trooper, but say Chopper was extremely boring. What? Oh, fair enough, I guess. Calls out that there's been a lot of fake death in the in the prog recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, another letter compliments Bix Barton and uh, calls Sonny Williams for, out for being very cool. And the final one thinks it's uncool that Dread had to take the long walk. Mid-prog, there's a sweet star scan of Spice Diamond Jacob of Armored Gideon and some kind of big green Have demon monster. Have a star scan in the middle of a comic? Yeah, they show up now and then, I this think. This one was cool, um, but... They- yeah, it is mostly like like the back cover yeah. or something like that. But I feel like, especially now that there's more co- there's more color in the middle of the of the of the prog that can have these color star scans is like sort of hanging out sexy there. Sexy turnover, you know what I mean? Mmm. I've had many of those. Oh. My local ba- uh, bake shop. <laughs> sexy, sexy turnover. Mm. Six, seven, eight. David Hine draws a stained glass dread, looking very angry with some cool random images oh. on there as well. It, in the nerve center, Tharg admits that Indigo Prime didn't start in Frog 675, and it will start now, by God. <laughs> sure. There's a picture of a shot of a, a shot up Judge Dredd, the dead man. Pictures call, um, and a, uh, and uh, pictures call out Chip for being wasteful with paper. There's um, a, um, a, a listing of a pronunciation of the character Shiva from Bad Company, and Tharg's like, all right, I get your joke, but like Bad Company was like three years ago. What am I going to do with this? Um, make this a thing. Again. And requests that, yeah, and requests that Tharg comes, and, comes to babysit, mm-hmm. and also cheers for shadows and its apparent allegory to Thatcherite Britain, and cheers to the new Harlem Heroes, which I am, of course, always on board for. Wow, I, I didn't uh, see the... I mean, maybe I, I didn't grow up in Thatcherite Britain. I mean, I'd like... We'll get there. It's one of these things where I think, to me, it does have a lot of stuff just about the impersonalness of, uh, like, like, just how... The rich are so oblivious to the point to the uh, to the plight of the poor yes, and stuff like that. that I, I firmly but, agree. Yeah, and I but I feel like that is definitely a tone of that of like that's what I've seen in comics that I know are definitely commenting on Thatcher on uh, on Thatcher and and uh, and the Thatcherite mood and stuff. I mean, when people but, I've seen in this comic try to comment on Thatcher, there is some giant Thatcher face or backshot of hair that they throw at you to be like, eh, it's Thatcher." Whereas this one I feel like is I mean, much more of a comment on well, well, I mean, it's one of these things. Thi- I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it goes back yeah, and forth because, like, there are like, 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 I think like Skiz is also kind of a comment on oh, that stuff, and yeah. that doesn't have well, a I mean, have a Thatcher kinda, in I it, think for she instance. Showed up, right? Or, or a no, 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 I, no. I don't think. Oh no, a, I'm I don't, thinking. I don't I'm thinking of the there's a Thatcher caricature, caricature in Skiz. Mm. Um, but I mean, um, but like, you know, I mean, I think it's just one of these interesting things where, um, well, that might have, because it was happening then, it seems like a direct commentary mm. on that time period. It's something that still feels very, like, it like sort of this relevant social commentary in 2020 as well, I mean, it's you know. It's resonated even now, right? 
Yeah, well, yeah, 2020. I said now, oh, whatever. Sorry. You know, we're 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 saying the same thing here. Prog 679, Hood and Nina are headed into the danger zone. And again, to the. This is really the best. I love this fucking artwork. Yeah, Nina's so like again, just her her terrified <laughs> face, these giant <laughs> eyes, so much, so worried. In the nerve center, Tharg announces more Indigo Prime coming, so we'll check it out. I um in coming episodes, I, I guess. Here. Two things. <laughs> There's a picture of a baby dread, the very early case files, and a gross judge slug. Slime doesn't pay. <laughs> Midprog, there's an ad for Deadline, which I remain interested in checking out someday. It seems like a lot of our faves are in there. Yeah. Midprog, there's also a star scan with an extreme close-up of dread by Zach Sandler, who we'll see more of in a 1991 Universal Soldier story. Really? Mm hmm. There's also an ad offering a free roll of film, back to our previous discussion, if you drink Dr. Pepper, oh. which is apparently America's number one non cola soft drink. I mean, drink, it's Fox. 24 flavors or whatever, so it can't be really called anything at that point. I looked it up. That honor is now held by Mountain Dew. Um, good, but the good doctor's right behind it. Um, there's also a full page ad for a new look Roy of the Rovers comic, full color and looking very sports magazine yeah. as well. And if you buy the first one, you get a chew bar. I remember us talking about him a, a while ago. I haven't seen Roy of the Rovers for mm-hmm. a while because that's like a big deal sports comic, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very much sort of the like as 2000 AD is the science fiction comic, Roy of the Rovers is the sports comic, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we haven't seen a ton, a, a ton of tr- like most of our most. Most of our house ads we've been having has actually recently been for a revolver, which yeah. we get a, um, at the end of the prog where there's an ad for a crisis collection and then another one for a revolver, which is where Jimi Hendrix meets Dan Dare. Oh. I think it might just be that like they know that this heavy nerd market that's buying 2000 AD might not be into sports comics anymore. I mean, cross, cross, um, cross marketing or whatever they call it. We've, we've done yeah, this Yeah, but it might also be. Yeah, and just the way that they usually do it is they advertise when something big, like when a when there's a format change in the comic they're talking about. So like this new look for Roy or things like I mean, that. If Roy you know, had like a a laser gun and also solved mysteries for the team. I'd be pretty down. Yeah, if there was a dude who got blown up and put his body in some sort of large predator, and suddenly they like rode around on motorcycles in a kind of like a hell arena. Thrill five shadows. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's no segue to that, but man, I'm so happy that we're at shadows now. Definitely. Skipped about Peter Milligan, art about Richard Elson and Tim Perkins, letting her about Steve Potter. And Fox, I am told to remind you of Death Planet as we enter into we'll, uh, Shadows. Yeah, thank you. Well, we will we will get to that at the end. There's a lot of okay. shadows, man. Just shadows. That's all I can say. Sure. So Nina, an information broker who found something she shouldn't have, has, have and has been made an unperson or shadow. Meet mom. Meet um, mom. Meet mom. Meet yeah. mom. She's meet trying to steal mom. some meat from a futuristic sh- uh, stockyard and a figure in the shape of her dead mother has burst out of this genetically engineered meet beef. Mom. It's pretty messed up. <laughs> the ghoul has con- has totally convinced her to turn herself in when Nina's super cool cyberpunk mentor Hood steps in and explains that she's again she's being hit by mom. there is no mean mom. <laughs> she's been hit by the brain jamming a waking dream. 
Okay, Nina. sorry, I had a thing for yeah. this, which is, dreams can come true, look at me, baby, and I'm with you, you know you got to have hope, you know you got to be strong. And he missed a joke right there. Could have really laid on, like, the Gabrielle dreams hit. Dream jammer. Oh my god, I love um, you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Nina hugs Hood and wonders why all this is happening. And Hood says that the company is mysterious and evil, basically. They just are trying to kill you. Don't worry about the reasons. And he does that they whole holding his hands the- up thing like, I still don't care. But then he does the whole, like, information dump. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're still in a real will-they-won't-they they kind of situation. Um they walk through the tunnels of the Undercity. Nina's sure that Hood likes her despite his standoffish nature. He makes an impassioned speech about the rich and how they only care about social issues and questioning the world around them when things go bad. I mean, it's a big fuck um, you to her in a way, but also just you get this idea of him just... Uh, he's saying he chose it, and in kind of a way you you believe it or don't believe it, but he definitely has a feeling about her where he just explicitly states... If they gave you the opportunity right now, you would come mm-hmm. back to your normal life. And that just fucking disgusts him. Well, yeah, but all, but I mean, the counterpoint is that, like, you're making a pretty big deal about people not caring mm-hmm. about things for someone who explicitly constantly says that they don't care about anything. And still you know? yet cares about all the things and saves people. Yeah, it's a real hypocrite. S- s- Suddenly, blam! There's a huge explosion and another drone's coming after him. Must attract her through her dreams. It's a grinder, a subterranean search and destroy vehicle that's coming after him. And we see a couple lab guys piloting. And they notice it's not only Nina there, but Hood as well. OMG, he's uh, important to our plot. Yeah. Hood, Nina, and a few other shadows head into some underground tunnels, at least like like armpit deep in sludge. Mm. Along the way, Hood pulls a dealie out from behind his ear. It's called a REM spoiler. Oh, wait, I totally which remember. I jamming. have a plot device behind my ear. Yeah. And he'll hopefully stop the tracking as well. He doesn't need any more, so he jams it right into Nina's brain. Uh, for a moment, they dream as one, and then the techs lose their tracking. And it's, uh, I mean, the way they describe it, it's kind of like, mm, warm shower of dreams, you know? Whoa. Yeah. Later, they're at the Shadow Base, where Hood is making a passionate plea to everybody else to ditch Nina and move (laughs) on. But the other Shadows, led by the couple with the pregnant lady, says they don't leave people behind. And if Nina's in that much trouble, she must be on their side. Mm. Nina's moved by these Shadows being so nice to her until suddenly... um, because until suddenly she's been very anti-shadow, well, you know. She, in the sky, sorry, yeah. I, it, it was like the what I loved about this is that the pregnant woman was the one who spoke up first, who was the one she was yeah. most disgusted by when she first met them. Mm, that's true. And the way that she describes feeling after everyone spoke up was like her throat felt tightness. She was choking up for the first time. And she didn't know how to describe it. It's just the, there was a lot going yeah, I mean, on here in the kind of thought boxes that's really neat. Yeah, I mean, both both here and last week, actually, mm. Milligan does a lot of um, describing not just how Nina's feeling, but like describing what the actual elements of those feelings yeah, are, I guess. I agree with that. It's like she's not like feeling inspired, but she, but she describes like what's going on inside her head and body as she physically responds in, to these sort of emotional terms things that don't use 
how we currently describe them. It's 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 very interesting to yeah. me. I mean, it is kind of a wonder, like, if he's doing this to kind of show that, like, Nina's sort of been disconnected from her emotions in sort of the ivory tower. So she doesn't really know what it means when she feels this way, I guess. That's what I got, and I really enjoyed it. Nice. So in the skyscrapers of the club, we learn that Nina's hacking set off an automatic defense system that unpersoned her, and that's made her harder to find. So it's like, oh, geez, guys. Um Night falls on the city and Nina reflects on her new life. She's not the same as she was before. Darkness is falling and she welcomes it. Changing. Yeah. Second act. Later, the shadows... Totally. Listen, we're making these, you know, going through these character developments. The, sh- the shadows make camp in an old factory as the pregnant lady goes into labor. Nina reflects that she was born in a womb center and she's never seen a live birth. Mm. And Hood, of course, gives her a hard time about it. They because go she's back walking and f- away, yeah. but she has to then kind of chastise him because she's walking away for a different reason, not the baby. Yeah. They go back and forth about Nina's old life as a stuck-up rich mm. lady. And while he's a cool dude, doesn't care about anything. I'm not going to clean my room. <laughs> Later, Nina's headed back to her old apartment to finally retrieve that Nemo mm. file thing that we saw in the first episode. You know, this MacGuffin is getting MacGuffed. A waste catcher goes to grab her, but she dodges it and grabs an improvised spear when suddenly it blows up because Hood and the rest of the shadows are there to help her. Oh, snap. It's a dirty people, cool Hood, got nice hair, baby heaven revolution, gonna shoot some guys. They all start rioting as Nina explains about the Nemo file thing, and Hood's able to hack the lock of the storage compartment thing pretty easily. Man, I'm gonna take this memo file, girl. And we're going to have a memo file experience together. <laughs> Let me memo file you. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> 10 out of 10 for that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they uh, uh, thingy acquired. They go to a half-built <laughs> tube extension and prepare to run through her memories together. She sees her old self and is ashamed by her rich bitchness. And then they get to this labyrinth thing she was looking at. As they see it, it triggers an alarm in another one of these labs full of killer guys, and they start tracking it. Hood's able to see the labyrinth and even some files inside. The name of the project, Falls the Shadow. My favorite part is that his magic way of having them memo file linked together is to take a, uh, like, original Nintendo Game Boy link cable and put it between the two of them on their head. Ooh. Yeah, Got to good train times. Pokemon, and then if you detach the link cable in between... Whoa! You know, someone... Um, by the, ooh, nice. By the way, Falls the Shadow is a reference to a, to, to the T.S. Eliot poem, The Hollow Men, for the record. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a line in there. I didn't write it down, but it says Falls the Shadow in the middle of it. Oh, you know, between something and something... Poem. Thank you. I mean, you can if you if you Google Falls the Shadow, you'll get it. But it's sort of like between something and you know between cool dudes and assholes falls the shadow or something like that. Um, not a direct quote for the record. <laughs> cool don't, dudes don't and ask assholes fall the shadow. T.S. Eliot, you were ahead of your time. Killbots fly out looking for targets. <laughs> as office guy says, just kill everybody. Don't worry about targeting. I love it's a big project that say kill everything with killbots. Definitely, falls a shadow is a big project for total control. But they won't know more until they get to a zone gate to do some zone breaking, which I'm going to say is just sort of computer hacking. I mean, here, they don't explain Could, it. Isn't it rad? 
They got to get to the thing sort to of. do a thing. Yep. Zone uh, Hood used to be a zone breaker, he says, but he left it for mysterious reasons. The drones destroy the tube they were hiding in. The lab dudes are stoked, but Nina and Hood are already on the move. So many people die. In a... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Listen, a lot of destruction. In a boardroom, a bunch of embryos are gestating artificial – or sorry, in a boardroom above a bunch of embryos gestating artificial wombs. Some corporate types recap the plot and say that um, it's all linked to Falls the Shadow. Confirms that Nina had come into contact with a zone breaker named Hood and stuff. Ooh. The boss orders them both dead, as you do. And uh, kind of foreshadowing uh, that Hood is kind of a, a totally wrecked le- dude who has sick-ass gamer skills. That's right, buddy. Listen, freaking zero cool hacking the Gibson and so oh, wow. forth. Um, Hood needs to know more about Falls the Shadow, and to do that, he's got to enter the zone, which is what we're calling the Matrix, essentially. Oh, um, to do it, they got to get to a special zone gate thing. So Nina, Hood, and a bunch of the Shadows are moving through this wasteland as more killbots attack, um, taking out a whole lot of their buddies. Like, pretty much Hood. like the all of their buddies. Yep, 100%. Uh, Hood tells Nina to hide because he's headed for the gate, but she demands to come with him because she's got to take care of him and stuff. You know, they're becoming connected. They'll be cut to them getting strapped down to tables as some dudes are plugged into a big... Yeah, like, they were just... They definitely just lost these bots really easily. Mm. And now they're strapped to tables as some dudes are plugged into a big glowing globe. And I guess that's fine Um, because there are weird conduit people that we're not going to be them, but we're going to enter through them into a thing. All of it didn't matter. It was pretty rad that they just said words, I guess. Yeah, my understanding is that it's sort of like astral projecting where you kind of you if you you're leaving your body to do it and you got to find a way to come back to your body. And if it's moved or lost or something, then bad stuff happens. They're basically the the best way to do it. And you can F9 for it. I don't know if I get that reference. Quick save, quick load. Of course. Yes. Fair enough. I I sort of no. Listen, I just forget my function keys, buddy. Um, I'm more I'm more I'm more connecting it to like when um in like Avatar when you oh, know we gotta go to the spirit we realm connect our and weird that plugs means... to a tree and do a weird thing. I uh, see. I'm saying again, Avatar: The Last Airbender, oh. where <laughs> Aang's got to do some shit and Katara's got to stand guard. Dude, is what I'm trying to say. I. Uh... I, I love you. because I'm I, striking out. We're all striking out on references. It's terrible back on the so show. I'm so sorry. Listen, Fox, when I, when I want to talk about the James Cameron avatar, that's what I'll call it. All right. Plain <laughs> avatar is the last airbender now. You are correct. Screw that. I am so sorry. Um, oh. So they prepare to cross over as Hood explains why he quit being a zone breaker. He found something he shouldn't have, but we don't know what as they enter the zone and things get extremely reality bending. Faces bend and warp. Like humans with weird swirly head holes appear. They're headed to the shadow, to the zone, and stuff is getting weird. People can't J.O. to these shapes and colors usually, but she's going straight to the dark net. Yeah, it feels reasonably jackable, I, mean, I guess. You know, um, that's where I would jack into were I to strap myself to a table and integrate myself through two strange beings that don't whatever. Yeah, no, they're weird dudes. Yeah, Nina opens her eyes, and my years as a Doctor Strange reader identifies where she is as your standard Steve like, Ditko-esque dreams, uh, dreamscape. I felt like you would have a good time with this, because I have seen what you have posted from Doctor Strange, and oh man, this seems very similar. Like, she's standing on a table that looks like the Earth, and there's a lot of sort of flying bodies coming around her and stuff like mm, that. The Andromeda um, Galaxy and all that. 
Yeah. Then Hood shows up on a hover car. I don't Sweet know. And Neat is weird, as weird out by this as I am. Um, and they just sort of do a lot of talk about how we're in this, you know, data realm. And so we got to use representations of things to help us. We got to get somewhere fast. So I made a car. He pretty much but all like, says, it's like, dude, you're going to pass out. I'll, I'll deal with it. Just like try not to really pass yeah. out. FYI, like I'm a badass zone thrower. So like if it was on my own, I just turned into a photon or something. Something, but I'm, you know, just bringing out my medium level gear to go on this race, boss, because I'm way higher totally level than you. I don't care, and I don't care, and I'm doing this because I don't give a shit. <laughs> it's very much like the second chapter of Snow Crash where they start explaining the metaverse and oh, stuff. Man. Um, Nina has zone nausea and has trouble keeping it all together. Apparently, this is also called soul sickness. And she makes a point about this or tries to when the world rebels against them. They're getting tossed around a hurling landscape. Or just getting too high, you know. Very similar. In a red, in another red room, Tex planted defense against our heroes, and they're going to send a ghost. It's how you know but it's worry bad. that Hood is very the good. Bad guys, because it's all definitely. The world continues to attack Nina and Hood. She falls into a weird crisis. Her brain collapses in on, him, in on itself and she loses her grip on the strange reality there in the first place in the zone. She sees weird monsters coming after her, but then Hood shakes her awake. It seems she just slept through the rest of the plot. <laughs> Hood's been through the data uh, labyrinth and has learned the details of Falls the Shadow. He knows what it is. It's how the company gains ultimate control. He explains it, but we can't hear it. And then Nina feels a tap on her shoulder and turns around to see a man in a white suit sitting in a chair. It's time we have a little talk, my dear. And we've just reached the end of Matrix Reloaded in the course of this story. Wow. Next time, alone in the zone. So, Conrad, I know I interrupted a bunch. Yo. There's just a lot of... Oh, no, no, no. Go ahead. A ton I'm I've got to just happy. say about this. So, um, Death Planet and uh, Shadows. Um, yeah. This is about a female character who starts empowered and falls. Mm-hmm. And, mm. of course, finds someone who is also trained like her, just in a different way. But she fights him a bit. They they get along together. Um, the difference between this and Death Planet, Death Planet was like, here's this strong female character. Um, let me just objectify you a ton and then we'll pick up some Pikachus and you're really dumb and I'm going to hit on this other black haired lady and like who knows whatever everything's fine uh, the man will fix it in, mm-hmm. yeah, Deb. in yeah. this a bunch of really great writing beautiful coloring and psychedelic artwork come together to like make a thing that is part of the reason I was a bit like actually really late tonight I think I love shadows Conrad it Ooh. might maybe be one of my favorite things I've read in a while. Uh, not because it's trying... Well, I would actually say exactly because it's not trying to explain anything. It it does enough. Um, why can he sink their weird dream baubles that they put on their head? Just because he can. Doesn't matter. I don't yeah. even know why. Why is he manifesting a car? He kind of talks about it. Um, how do they get to the next thing? Well... When they get to the next thing, just before that, the bad dudes say, we're going to send in a ghost. Now, is the ghost yeah. this guy in white? Or is it actually Hood? Or whatever. Like, you don't actually know. Um, 
I'm, I'm glad you're asking these questions because there are twists and turns are coming for Shadows next episode. It's, We're going to reach the climax and finish this guy off next my time. Dude, so I'm pretty, you it's know. It's so good. It, I love this. Got Nice. Yeah, we got definitely got some choppy water coming. So I, I And I think based on what you're saying now, I think you're, you're going to be really intrigued by how it finishes off. I'm glad about that. I, I didn't mean to take up too much time on that. It's just... No, no, no. Please. I, I just... I haven't read something kind of... It's not necessarily novel by our standards now, right? This kind of mm-hmm. uh, disempowered people versus yeah, but the I empowered. Think, but I think it the, is yeah. novel in a lot of different... Just how it... But acts. I think this sort of Sorry, cr- creating these interesting, flawed characters and stuff is what I sort of look for for Milligan, right? Like, you can yes. definitely... Like, I definitely feel similar tones in, say, in Bad Company or The Dead, for instance, yes. as I'm getting here in Shadows, you yes. know? That weren't necessarily... Like, hit on perfectly, but definitely, like, there are things that we like, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'd say that the important thing really is, especially for Milligan, is that however they hit, I appreciate the, I appreciate them taking this shot, basically. Yes. And this one, I feel like, like, every time I've read Shadows, it's been so, it's been a thing that I've been excited to read outside of Judge yeah. Red. Like, those equally are things that I'm just, when are they coming? Uh, like Armored Gideon, I enjoy those. Like Dread and Shadows are are so equal. Anyway, I just wanted to gush. Nice, a bit about yeah. It's that. it's cool to have things that you're looking forward to as opposed to things that you're sort of reading dutifully. You yeah, know, exactly. And speaking of dutiful reading, Fox, okay. <laughs> Thrill Six, Chronos Carnival, Hillary uh, Robinson. I I don't know how to feel about this, but I love that it's about <laughs> a carnival mostly. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Uh, scripter about Hillary Robinson, art about Ron Smith, letting her about Tom Frame, and now for something completely yeah, different. Yeah, but, but, yes, <laughs> I can't. I I gotta say, Fox, and I'm sh- I'm positive I actually made this um, mistake already. It's very hard for me to not call this throw Chaos Carnival instead of Chronos Carnival. I actually. Um, I, so when I contacted you before, I called it Carnival because I didn't know what the first word said because I was scanning through. Yeah. It's hard for me to keep those names right in my I brain. I won't say this um, later just for time's sake, but this feels like something I should have been reading in like 1970, early 1980. So here we go. It's the, it's the, it's the reunion of the survivor team of Robinson and Smith as mm-hmm. we meet Jenny and Neil, two troubleshooters for an interdimensional carnival. And we see the various rides and games and all these aliens and weirdos How that many inhabit good it. guys have we um, seen that, are, that have been in wheelchairs, even in future times? None. Yeah. I mean, not in 2000 AD, I don't We've think. We've had a bad guy, um, right? Like Stig. Yeah. Or, yeah, Stig was blind. But and uh, you'll recall the. the uh, we saw him. Oh, yeah. No, I, maybe. But I, I just remember, uh, what did I call him? Um, terrifying Cyber Goblin <laughs> Robo, Rolo Hardy from Mean Arena. <laughs> well, he had Cyber was, Goblinism. Um, was in a wheelchair? Was, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is like a good guy in a wheelchair, and I really feel like this is a Hillary Robinson thing, which, by the way, mucho respect, but also, man, is he a douche. Please it's, continue, Conrad. It's very much, it's yeah, it's it's very much her deal, like, that we have a male character, like, I, I think this is the one, like, male protagonist that she's had that sort of... Or no, I guess all of the all the ones I have, like look, whether it's it's Genghis exactly. in Zippy Couriers who was real dumb, always... or like Gib in in Medivac who spent a lot of the time yes. like just sort of being like dead, basically. They're all like, in some way not quote full men, 
but still act like mm-hmm. total jerks, I guess. They do kind of act jerky, yeah. So Neil and Jenny themselves seem pretty normal. Jenny's a lady in a jumpsuit with short hair. Uh, Neil seems like a hero type, but is confined to a wheelchair, mm-hmm. Fox. And I'll tell you, because we've been talking about it, that some people don't like this thrill very much, at least partially because Neil seems like a blatant pull for like diversity points, I guess. I don't think like, that that's the... I don't think that's what she's going for, but I understand the um, initial thought that people might think that that's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of like, to sometimes it makes me think of like, uh, do you remember there'd be like, God, okay, this is terrible. Okay. There'd be like a marketing thing for a product and it would have a, a, a club of kids surrounded oh, by mean, it. Dude, like. Yeah. Oh, like, we're going to the honeycomb hideout for this cereal, and here's a bunch of kids, and they're basically, like, there's one kid of every skin there color are, and one ha- and one handicapped kid, basically. There are two cartoons that I will say right now that you will probably know and get it. The Magic School Bus and Recess, where yeah. they specifically put people in a position, and it was way overhammed and all about... Uh, not their struggles, but that they can also too, as opposed to something deeper about it. It's just a thing they did to kind of be inclusive. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's a yeah, it's it's a fraught thing. Like mm. let, I'm not gonna, I don't want to, I don't want to get oh, in sure, this. Sure, I, sure, I, sure. I don't know, and I don't know about enough about like ableism theory to talk about whether this hits right or wrong. Just, but I'm just I saying, don't think that I'm just saying that that's doing it for reasons of getting points. I think she's doing it for the same reasons you just mentioned, which is to. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely give Robinson the benefit of the oh, doubt yeah. just because she does try to, you know, so much of her work of, of her characters in 2000 AD have been sort of underrepresented uh, groups and things I like mean, that. This would have been or for just an like, thing. At least underrepresented. Please. Yeah. At least underrepresented in the pages of 2000 AD I, is what uh, I want to say. Um, regardless of what we would have talked about in the end, one of the things as you go through the story that I would suggest our readers listen to is how he treats the female lead. Because that, I think, is the point, is that even hmm. though he is, he's this concept of not, it's not a comment on disability. It's more of her very openly saying like, men have this control issue and try to tell women what to do whereas she is so gung-ho and acts like an action hero whereas he's trying to reel her in constantly that's what i got out of chronos carnival which to me was highly sure, yeah overt. i just want to definitely i just want to sort of, of just mention that sort of especially with fan reaction the elephant in the room here is sort of this you know con- conversation that we've continued to have 30 years later of yeah. representation ver- ver- versus tokenism I'm not right. sort of Who a, knows a thing. right the, the it doesn't matter <laughs> yep and yeah i'm sure everyone's gonna yell at me oh, about I, what we just talked about so let's, he's really let's get good. going he's a great dude i mean whatever um so here we go um Weird squidgy guy wants to shoot a thing. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I do. Like, I'll, I, I just want to say one more thing is that this story feels really juvenile and maybe a little out of place even in our current yeah, 2000 AD. The younger, like again, like, 1970, it feels like it was the kids trying to reach the kids comic. Yeah, like this feels like it would fit in perfectly in sort of the first, in our first 50 episodes right or so. after Invasion, it's like this funny carnival shooting things and a dragon shows up. Yeah. 
Whereas now it feels like weirdly, yeah, again, yeah, just sort of anachronistic and young mm. for our for what the rest for what's surrounding fucking it. Weird. I guess. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That said, you know, all the art here is amazing. It's Ron. It it's Ron gorgeous. Smith doing his thing of just all these tiny details everywhere, and like especially these big crowd scenes in the carnival and stuff. It's really great. All these different rides and weirdos and the stands and stuff. Feel. Yeah. Definitely. So Jenny's called over. So they're uh, Jenny's called over to the time train um, ride as Neil runs a shooting gallery for a kid and a potato alien. The alien went to two headed teddy bear and Jenny calls Neil over to help with the time train as a pyramid is forming on the dimension screen. Uh, snap, seems we got to close down this damn ride. That pyramid is going to fudge things up for those people. The time train is apparently the biggest ride in the park, but also prone to breakdowns and general uh, danger. There's a huge disclaimer on the entrance to the ride. <laughs> I love that. Um, Actually, it's it's quite not even macabre. It's just it feels sarcastic almost. <laughs> Pretty much, but apparently you ride through and see history's greatest monsters. That kind of thing. The two ready their guns and step into the time tunnel where a weird laser triangle has indeed formed. And suddenly a big monster flies out. It's a dragon. But it's specifically the kind of dragon That's that are made dragon. up of like eight dudes. Yeah. Under a, under a carpet at like a uni- uh, Lunar New Year parade or something. What I like about this is that it's like, not made up of dudes under that, but instead just a centipede dragon. Yeah, because it doesn't have like clawed feet or anything. Its feet very much look like people wearing shoes exactly. and stuff. A, it's a pretty lot excellent. Of the art, especially like as we go into six seventy seven, the spaceship they show has a big happy mouth under it. Like everything mm-hmm. that is supposed to be serious is is portrayed rather silly, whereas the people are portrayed rather serious space people. For sure. So the dragon walks out of the triangle and asks Jenny and Neil for help. But hey, no way. We're under orders to destroy anything that comes out of a portal. And who's the the one who says, don't shoot the dragon? Oh, yeah. No, Jenny's definitely on this dragon's side. Uh, The dragon says it's in great danger and he does seem injured. So Jenny says to hear him out. They take him into the carnival and the dragon explains, your time continuum is about to be invaded by the Sidandi, which have already invaded his home world and reduced it to rubble. His people have tried to fight back, but they can't do much. The Sedandi are shape changers. No one knows what they look like normally, but they were able to use their shape changing to, you know, infiltrate and take down resistance cells, Terminator so style, how do you basically. Know? They've got really, like, super wrecked guns. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, the few surviving dragons are forced to work camps, and then sort of a, you know, dimension triangle appeared, and this guy jumped through it to find help. It's only a matter of time before he's followed. Yeah, and like you said, how do we know you're not Sadani? And like, if he was, I'm. He, I have a big guns like those guys back there. They're probably Sadani. I don't. And I don't got the things to carry those guns. It, it feels so. But, like so much of it feels like, uh, you know, future shocks, and then that thing yeah. happens anyway. Definitely. Yeah. I should say every Chaos Carnival starts with this kind of glamour shot yeah. of Neil and Jenny, like either their it's heads weird. or them just like standing there, like shooting off into the distance or something it's, like that. It, again, it, it gives it a very retro exactly. feel, I think. It's so weird. The Sedandi burst forth with their big guns and make our heroes drop their weapons. They try to take the dragon Lysan Laurentian into custody. Oh. But when they attack Lysan and tries to kill it, he's actually pretty tough. Like, you're going to tooth and claw me. I'll tooth and claw you, he's, you he's jerk. He's a Dargan, so why not? 
Yeah, and then Neil takes out the second one with his wheelchair, and the hero, and the humans grab their guns and start shooting. They take one of the dragons prisoner, but the other one gets liquefied. Ooh. And Lysan's like, "Whoa, you guys could, could actually help me because those are real good guns." And also, then they just take one of the fucking shape changers and then put it in a cage. Yeah, they got them lying around. It's secured I mean, in one of the park's animal cages, safe enough unless it can breathe fire. Something to be said about. It. <laughs> Um, Lyson asks to borrow some sweet human <laughs> weapons so we can fight the Sidandi, and Jenny just offers to come help yeah, why him. Not? Neil objects, mm. but she doesn't care, and the pair make their way to that big old triangle. Oh, yeah, she doesn't give a shoot. Mm-mm. Jenny won't stop, so in the end, Neil goes after her, follow, falling wheelchair <laughs> bound through the dimension gate, and when they arrive, it's clear Jenny just assumed he'd come. She's like, what kept you? I, yeah, I love it. Nonchalance. <laughs> after a moment... Uh, Definitely. After a moment to adjust to the new dimension, we see a spaceship land and Sadani nobles exit the craft. They're prepping to invade Jenny and Neil's reality. There's a lot of them, but Lysan does have a plan. And over Neil's objection, they put into place. Jenny goes one direction, Neil and Lysan go the other. But it's dense jungle terrain and Neil's wheelchair can't handle it. (laughs) Still, Jenny starts shooting, and the um, Sidandis shoot back. No one there's to help her, so she's quickly pinned down. Lysan meets up with his people, but things are in a bad spot. If we don't get do something for Jenny soon, she'll be finished. Next time, firepower. So it's very clear what I think about this, which is not that I I dislike it. I the only striking thing that I would say um, is Ron Smith's change in artwork. Quite suddenly, hmm. between like uh, 676 to 678, and then jumping to 679, I, I I like his use of boxes, but there are some parts of the character that feel very updated. So I wonder how much of this hmm. was done prior and then reamalgamated in a way. But I yeah, I mean, he could have been making changes sort of as he goes and stuff sure. like that. That's definitely I, well, possible. I definitely don't disagree with that. I liked this from a level. I think that it's a little bit like ham-fisted, if that makes sense. But that's yeah, I think I it's, like it. it's 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 an okay romp on its own, but it feels very out of place with the rest of the comic. Yes. I think I did not enjoy it for that reason. Yeah, and speaking of things, and uh, we we've taught we actually had a bunch of info dumps so far this prog oh. this episode, oh, Fox. God. So let's just go full info dump and talk about Thrill Seven Indigo Prime. I'm literally trademark. I'm literally gonna just roll away. I mean, I'm going to be here, but also... Uh. Fair enough. Uh, script by John Smith, art by Chris Weston, learning about Tom Frame. And finally, an info dump for Indigo Prime Register trademark, which is very important. We see a bunch of stereotypical tourists being shown around by a man in a baggy suit with a floppy bow tie named Herschel Lewis. And we see that the like campus of Indigo Prime, Richard Trademark itself, is a place of artistic walkways, stained glass domes, sci-fi machineries, fancy clocks, yeah. that kind of thing. A tourist asks, hey, if you know time, how the Giants will do this season? And Lewis says that your parallel is going to have a global nuclear event. Great, so thanks. no more sports for the next million years. <laughs> He explains that Indigo Prime racial trademark operatives are recruited after their death. And um, because the stuff they do can have do nasty things to living tissue, entrants are then given new bodies and trained. 
maybe 1 in 12 million people across all of time and space have what they take to be an operative, the uh, Rembrandt um, ratio, they I say. I this more, makes um, more sense with you rereading it. Uh, going through it again is, is harmful to my brain. I, like They're trying to be real trippy about this as well. We see a recruit in training and learn that after about eight months, they can specialize as either a scene shifter, a seamster, or an imagineer. These I love. There's also a moderator... There's also moderators and silencers, but those are out of fashion <sighs> after those jerk fervent and lobe did what they did. You know what they did. And the lads themselves have a quick cameo. So scene shifters move around spatial events, shifting realities as they see fit. We've seen examples of these in Harry Bass, Salt and Jerry Foundation, a couple of different love stories. Those boys. They're fun. Seamsters deal with time, and I guess other people find it boring, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, we see exa- we see uh, uh, Max Winward in a tank top and top hat, and Ishmael Cord in his incredibly tall hair. We'll see more about these guys later. Um, finally, there's Imagineers who shape dreams and mess with a collective unconsciousness. And often, it means they're the ones who have to deal with the fallout of the first two guys doing stuff, mm. um, represented by Lewis Reinhold and Pearl Lark. And I don't know if we see how much we see those guys so we, doing uh, stuff. So these, but, these last four, we, we'll see more of the former and less of them. I believe okay. so. I, I forget exactly who all is in sort of these earlier Indigo Prime stories, but this is very much sort of establishing a touch ba- a touchstone for these later stories mm-hmm. that for, that we'll see coming up and then as time goes by. Um, yeah. Oh, where am I? Yes. We learned that most Indigo Prime jobs start at $6,000, which doesn't seem like much, but I'm pretty sure, Fox, is one of those things where it starts at $6,000, but the upper limit is very high. Um, <laughs> So, what are these tourists doing here anyway? Um, no. Lewis takes them to the mainframe where we see 53 realities sitting arranged around each other on a stable grid and Indigo Prime register trademark in the middle. And they're the ones carrying out maintenance in all the parallel worlds, keeping reality going, basically. So, just FYI to this youth pastor in the group, God is dead. Or on holiday in Barbados, at least, though the devil's very real. Um, we see one of the directors of Indigo Prime Racer Trademark, Mr. Vista, show up. He explains basically, listen, you guys are all dead, but it takes about two hours to process you to hell. So we thought it might be fun to give Lewis a chance to just sort of go over things. Anyway, off you pop and they, you know, you know robots arrive and start tossing these guys into the pit. It's pretty excellent. <laughs> Have a good one. And then... After this prog and at the end of the prog, we see this organizational yeah, chart this, for Indigo this Prime. Was the real nail in the gun. The bosses are Mr. Vista and uh, Major E. Kurtz Arcana, who we've sort of seen, especially in specials, sort of off off to the sides of things. And that's just a lot of names. And I'm going to say that we do see Furban Loeb's name has been crossed off the freelancer list. But otherwise, don't worry about all this stuff too much. We'll put some faces to these names as time goes by. It is hard for me, Conrad. Uh, the reveal was like, eh, okay. But then as you read through it again, just realizing that part of the reason I hated it is that it feels like corporate just download. Maybe that's why <laughs> I don't know what to think of Indigo I mean- Prime. But I will say this. There's a lot there to unpack in the words again. And I love this. I love it. I mean, yeah. I mean, Chris Weston's art's really amazing. He's still sort of developing. But this is putting him on the it's road beautiful. when he thinks his art his, his art develops, at least. Um, and, like, 
I'd I definitely say that the good times are still to come okay. in Indigo Prime, but I do. And while this is super dense, like knowing what comes and where we've been, I know it's sort of just a straight like info mm. da- like info dump. That could have been with wild, some vague so. conversation. Yeah, I mean it's an it's an info dump with some vague conversation added yeah. in just to uh, liven it up a little bit. But honestly. As confused as I've been by what's going on in when we've seen Fervent and Loeb and their own story and with Tyranny Rex, I appreciated them sort of just saying like, here's what this is, here's who these characters are, here's how it works and stuff. So while this is dry, I feel like, honestly, I'd rather John Smith just throw (laughs) his hands up and say, here's what's going on, than what he's been doing, which is trying to slowly introduce it through storylines, because there's so much going on that it's impossible to pick up. So strong agree. I agree with that. So I I would say I would say this is not really a great Indigo Prime story, mm. like an Indigo Prime story, but it's an important building block for later stories basically. Like sometimes you just got to spend spend some time build like world building and then you can grow from that there. I do. Yeah. And I, I, I'd say, oh, I'd much prefer that you just sort of have the world and reveal it to us as we go. But we've been seeing it, and the, but that's been happening. And honestly, this this thing is too is so weird ass that I just kind of need, <laughs> I just got just kind of need to be sat down and have it explained to me. And that's what this it is. It definitely made a lot more sense just now as opposed to when I was reading it, which was like. Well, I got I like it to once think you that said when TM I, the first time, you know what I mean? When I talk, you know, when I do it, I'm trying to synthesize it down so that I can understand it. And mm. hopefully that matches up with, with, what's, act, with what's actually happening, you know? Yeah. But uh, I would say this is an interesting part. And again, Chris Weston's art shouldn't be, shouldn't be missed for this stuff. It's no, great. it's beautiful. But all that said, Fox, speaking of info dumps. Oh, dang. I demand that you dump your top and bottom thrills for April and May 1990 on me, buddy. So I think we did like a bunch of talking. And so there is um, only one thing I'll mention. Like, obviously, I, I'm i not choosing Judge Dredd this time, but that's, you know, it's not because it's bad. I am absolutely sure. selecting Shadows for my top. Uh, it's great. It's beautiful. It, it, it uses so much of itself well, and it's unique. And that is not to say that Judge Dredd isn't that's so many things but these are a set of new characters and very rarely do we explore new characters in kind of a world if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um as for my bottom uh i mean universal soldier uh um unreal sausage i don't uh, whatever crystal it up get get rid of this let's get out of here um but yeah i feel like we talked about a bunch of today uh i don't think it's unexpected however Conrad. Ooh. Tell me, I mean, it's a hard choice, but tell me. Tell me. Mm. Top and bottom. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Uh, bottom. Mm-hmm. Harlem Heroes, fuck those guys. Wow. Even on a one, Always. even on a one progger. I, yeah, I don't care. You. I respect you for that. I've, I've said, I've said other thrillers can breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> so long as Harlem Heroes is active in the prog. I don't care. Love ya. Top thrill, Judge Dredd, always. I mean, how, how could you not, right? I love this Necropolis stuff. I mean, we talked about the characterization of Kraken and that moving. I just, like, again, mm. really just, it's doing, 
the jumping around to a bunch of different not quite connecting stories the like way better than heroes or universal soldier mm. and sort of showing how that's done really and i feel like that is something that you know because we're seeing that it's harder than it looks it's making me appreciate yeah. sort of the multi-layered nature of this run up to necropolis mm. story and like the emotion and Kraken of like his like conflictedness yes. and, and controlledness combined with like just the the horror that both uh, Aggie and Anderson are going through as mm-hmm. well. Like all this stuff really um, is great for characterization and Ascara is really just it's eating up, blowing it away on art. Uh. The art's really amazing. Um, yeah. So, there you go. Yeah, Judge Dredd on top. Harlem Heroes. Uh, again, it's the whipping boy. Gotta whip it. I'll hold him down. Anyhow. You whip yeah. him. That's right. Problem comes along. It's Harlem Heroes. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Titch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter page on Twitter at spacespinner2k. If you want spacespinner2000, you just find us there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green and the fine folks at 2080 forums. If you like our show, you can join them and get more content plus access to shows before anyone else by checking out our Patreon page. Patreon is a membership platform that easily allows you to support our show and for us to send you rewards for doing so. Please check us out at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network and support us. There's a variety of rewards for a variety of budgets and we'd really appreciate it. Then... Come back next time as all of these non-dread stories end. So we arrive at a mini jumping on Prague with new or continuing stories for Rogue Trooper, Harlem Heroes, Indigo Prime, Medivac 318, and a little tale I like to call Strontium Dog. Conrad. Conrad, you... It's the final solution part two, buddy. (laughs) That's not... <laughs> it is. You never wanted to part 100. two for the final solution more than this. You're getting it. Um oh also, you know, we'll find out just exactly how screwed Mega City One is. Oh. Answer. Extremely. Oh, God. <laughs> God damn it. That's Strontium Dog and, and Judge Shred. Oh, I'm gonna go insane. I mean, listen, I think we'll get some overlap with uh, Slain Book 3 as well in the course of this. So there's just going to be some real peaks coming in to this middle part of 1990. It's going to go real nice with that big valley of Harlem Heroes. Oh, no. (laughs) Until then, I'm Conrad. He's Fox. And we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid. 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 Splendid.